All right, good morning, Willow Burn. We're going to kick off the sermon this morning with a question. What do you guys want? What are some of the things that you want? I really want a dog. I'd love a dog. Heart desires a dog. No, I don't want your cat. <laughs> Poor Ollie. What are some of the things you guys want? Well paced. Well paced, yep. That's a good one. Closer walk with God. What was that one? Oh, cool. That's all right. If you don't want to, if you don't want to share, the um, you can have a bit of a think about what some of the deep desires of your heart might be. A bit more calm. Yep. Yep. That's a really good one. Rest. Rest. Deep desires of the heart. Yeah, absolutely. Peace for life. A, a peaceful, quiet life. Yeah, these are really good. Have you ever prayed for these things? How to work out? You win some, you lose some? Still still waiting? Well, that's all right. All right, let's flip that question around. Um, what are the, some of the things that you're willing to give? What are some things that you're willing to give? One of the things that um, I'm willing to give is my time to, to study this kind of stuff and um, to spend time with friends and to invest in, in those relationships. What are some of the things your heart really desires what are some of the things that you're willing to give? If you've been thinking about these, you might have a couple of ideas running around in your head. Hands up if um, the thing that you're willing to give is one of the things that you really wanted. Cool. Cool. Excellent. This is going to apply to everybody. No, that's good. All right. Today, we're going to meet an awesome godly lady of the Bible. Her name is Hannah in our mega series, Meet God Almighty. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 1, one. We're going to do a bit of reading today because the story is really, really cool. Um, and as we go through this, my question to you, what I want you guys to be thinking about is what do you desire and what are you willing to give? So 1 Samuel 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives... The name of the first was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed, closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up, um, as often as she went up to the house, oh my gosh, technological fails here. Um, so it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat, and Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? So what do we know about Hannah so far? What are some of the things that we know? Doesn't have any children. Yep. She was barren. The Lord had closed her womb. She's bullied. Yep. She was being tears for year, teased for years, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. And favoured, Yes. Yep, she was the one that Elkanah loved. So she's one of two wives. 
The name of the first was Hannah, the name of the second was Peninnah, and she's the favorite. So let's step into Hannah's shoes for a bit here to see if we can figure out what life is like for her. In those days, a man had a lot riding on children, and specifically a son. He'd need a, a son, or in lieu of a son, a daughter to pass on his inheritance, all the stuff that he owned, all the, um, the land and the animals, all that kind of thing. He also specifically needed a son to perpetuate his name uh, and his lineage. And in fact, this was so important that um, there's those weird laws that if you are the brother of a husband that has passed away, then you were to marry that widow and have children with her to pass on the, uh, the name of that father and so that, that lineage wouldn't, wouldn't end. Uh, and to add, uh, now, so Hannah uh, was unable to conceive uh, and give Elkanah any children. Um, further to this, a wife's inability to have children was seen in those days as being cursed from God and the opposite is true. If you were able to conceive and have children and many children, that was seen as a blessing from God. And to add insult to injury, Peninnah taunts her about her about um, taunts her about her inability to have kids, and it says her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. Um, now, in the passage we read before, it mentions when when um, it says that Elkanah had two wives, it mentions Hannah first. And most scholars would agree that this is because Hannah was the first wife. Um, and a lot of scholars uh, would comment that the whole reason that Elkanah married again uh, to Peninnah was so that he could actually have children because Hannah was not able to give them to him. So this is Hannah's life. And it's been like this for years and years and years. And what really stuck out to me as I was studying this is God allowed this to happen. In fact, he actually caused it. And it says it twice. Uh, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Now granted, we make a lot of trouble for ourselves. We get ourselves into a lot of problems. Um, but whatever the immediate cause, God is ultimately sovereign over all of our problems and our blessings. Uh, and he can allow these things to happen or he can um, not allow them to happen. Um, and if modern medicine was available back in those days, I'm sure they could have found a medical reason for why she was not able to conceive. Um, but behind it all is the clear action of God because the Lord had closed her womb. So point number one, sometimes God gives us problems. Excellent, excellent. Now, some of you probably know Hannah's story and how it ends, but suffice it to say that God is certainly at work in the background and we know from his word that he works all things for good for those who love him. And for now, we're just going to have to trust that he's got a bigger plan and a purpose for this uh, problem that Hannah is facing, this trial that Hannah is facing. So we'll continue reading. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O oh, Lord of hosts, if you'll indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and do not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine. Put away your wine. 
Um, but Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Um, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So we know that Hannah really, really wants a son. She has been deeply distressed, weeping and pouring out her soul before the Lord. Living conditions back home aren't great, and hopefully we're starting to get a bit of a sense of what it's like to be Hannah. Maybe you can resonate with this a bit. Maybe there are parts of your life that feel a bit like this. Maybe you really want a husband or a wife. I know I've been through that. Maybe you are married, but you've hit a few rough patches and it's been a bit hard. And what you really desire, one of the real desires of your heart, is to have a happier marriage. Maybe you just want more time in the day. Whose one was that? That was one of my ones as well. Um, Because you're totally overworked. Or you don't even have a job that you like. That's what you really desire. You really desire a job that you like. Maybe you want to be happy in your job. You want to be more satisfied with it or you want it to bring in more money. Maybe you just want to be happy and you're sick of being down all the time. And these are all things that are okay to want, by the way. These are okay to want these things. Maybe like Hannah, you want kids. Um, So you heard about uh, Nicole's surgery. It's a massive blessing. Praise God. Woohoo! And anyone who knows both Nicole and I know that we both really want to have kids. Um, And it seems like... Every time we go, they're like, oh, yes, you have to be on this medication that will prevent you from having kids for six months, a year, now two years. So I can really resonate with where Hannah's coming from. I can feel the, the anxiety that she might be feeling, the frustration, the feelings of hopelessness. For Hannah, it's a son, but what is it that you really want? What are the desires of your heart? Now, there are a lot of ways that Hannah could react to this situation. She could get angry at God. She could blame him for closing her womb. She's a devout, godly woman, and she could be thinking, oh, Lord, I come to you every year, and I give you these offerings. I don't provoke Pananah, but she provokes me, and you still won't give me a, a son? What's going on here? She could be mad at El- Elkanah. Why did you marry this other woman? This would, have been, this would have been fine. I wouldn't have had to deal with all this extra stress. Maybe she could get angry at Pananah. Why do you taunt me? You've got kids. Why are you rubbing this in my face? Now, as a side note, it's super easy to see Peninnah as a bit, of a, a bit of a baddie in this situation, hey? But if you remember um, when Elkanah would give out the, uh, the food, yeah, he says that he'd give stuff to Peninnah and he would give double to Hannah because he loved her. Could you imagine not being loved? So it's really easy to jump to comparison mode, but 
It's pretty rough for, for Peninnah as well. Both of these ladies want what the other one has. So Hannah could get angry at any of these people. But instead what we see is Hannah pouring out her soul to the Lord of hosts, bringing her problems, her hurts, her frustrations to God in prayer. And this is the right response. When we, become, when we come upon hardship, we should take it to God. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, by everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our God wants to hear from you. He knows you. He understands you. He understands your problem in a way that nobody else is going to be able to. He understands it better than you do most of the time. So sometimes we're going to have problems, whether they're our own design or God-given, and we should take our problems to God in prayer. Now the next thing that stuck out to me is this strange vow that Hannah makes. And she vowed a vow in um, verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. So she really wants this son, but here she's praying, I want this son, but I'm happy to give him to you. What Hannah is doing here is indicating that she will set aside any potential future son uh, to become a Nazarite, and that's someone whose life is committed to serving the Lord. And as part of that vow, they're not allowed to do certain things, not allowed to cut their hair, which is they won't let a razor touch his head, they're not allowed to have alcohol, not allowed to touch uh, dead bodies. Samson, who we, were, we heard about the other day, he, was, he actually had that vow said of him by his mother as well. Um, Hannah really, really wants a son. And it seems like this is the greatest desire of her heart, but we also see that she is willing to give her son to God. Which is really, really strange. So my question to you, Willow Byrne, is what do you really want and what would you be willing to give for it? Now I can think of at least two reasons Hannah might make this vow to God, and it might not just be one in particular. These things are very nuanced. There's probably a bit of all of them. Um, but the first one could be out of desperation. So, oh, Lord, I want this son so much. If you'll just give him to me, Peninnah will stop harassing me. Elkanah would have, like, sons. I wouldn't, you wouldn't have even need to marry Peninnah. If you do this for me, I promise I'll even give him back to you. Could you just please give me a son? And if this were the case, and if this was the sole reason for making this vow, it's almost like she's kind of turning God into that big vending machine in the sky. If you, if you guys ever kind of prayed these kind of prayers, I remember back in high school, oh, God, if you just give me a girlfriend, I'll go to church every Sunday. <laughs> uh, I'm glad he didn't come through on that one because there was no way I would have been able to give up my end of the bargain. And also because I've got an amazing wife. Good save. Good save. Good save. <laughs> So it could just be desperation, and it might be a little bit, but I don't think that this is her heart. I think it's much more significant than this. The second reason that I 
can identify, is that even though she wanted a son with all her heart, she wanted God more. She desired God more. It was a spiritually desperate time Hannah was living in. It was the time of the judges where every man in Israel was doing what was right in his own eyes. Even Eli's sons, uh, we read a little bit later. So Eli, the dude that's running the priest of the, the tabernacle, his sons that are priests are being immoral with the girls in, out the front of the tabernacle. Um, so we get this, this picture of this devout woman who desperately wants a son, but more than that, desires desires God, his purpose and his will to be done on earth. And if he would remember her and he would give her a son, she would worship him by committing, it, by committing him back to the Lord for all of his days. What is it that you desire, Willowburn? Do you desire it more than you desire God? Would you be willing to give it up for God? Would you be willing to give it up to God to use? I think... This question really reveals a lot about our hearts towards God and whether we truly have him at the centre of our lives. Now, at this point, I want to encourage you. If you're struggling with this, there's grace for that. <laughs> Ironically, the name Hannah also means grace, so I think this is quite fitting. But if you feel... Hey, Hannah. Good to see you, Hannah. But if you feel like you have been putting other things, other wants, other desires, other people before God, now's the time to reflect on that. You can pray about this. You can pray for forgiveness. You can pray that you would be reoriented on God, that your focus would be on Him, that He would be the the center of your life. Because he does want to be your greatest desire. He wants you to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and trust that he's going to provide for all of your needs. And a great test of whether or not you're seeking him first is what are you willing to give? The things that you desire most, are you willing to give them up for God? I'm not just talking about money. If you're worried about money, then I've got some bad news for you because he wants to be the center of your everything. He wants to be the center of your marriage. Would you give that to God? Not give up on it, but would you give that over to God? Would you make God the center of your marriage? He wants to be the center of your relationships. He wants to be the center of your work. Would you give that? Would you give your work over to God? Not give up on your work, but would you see that you're an ambassador of Christ and he's got you there for a reason, even if you aren't satisfied with what you're doing? Would you give up your satisfaction in work for the work that God has for you to do there? He wants to be the center of your affections. And at this point, you might be thinking, well, what gives him the right to want these things from me? Why should I put him at the center of my life? To which I would respond, how much do you think he wanted you? What was our Heavenly Father, Abba Father, willing to give to have you, his son or daughter, with him for eternity. What was our Heavenly Father willing to give? It's Jesus.
is it so crazy that Hannah is willing to give up her son? Now, granted, she didn't know about Jesus, but in a hymn of praise, and I'm so glad that you put that song in for me. I'm not actually, I was actually going to go through her hymn of praise because her hymn of praise is amazing, and that's your homework for today is to go through her hymn of praise. She's talking about the rock like our God. Um, she also mentions, and this is just a cool side note, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 2 in her song of praise, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is actually the first mention in the Old Testament of Messiah. Now, Hannah didn't really know about Jesus. I just thought it was a cool little kind of thing in there. Maybe she had some little inkling. I'm certainly not going to build a doctrine or anything on that, but I just thought it was cool at the first. Um, I think scholars say there's, there's no real kind of like um, reason to think there's a connection between Messiah that she was talking about and Jesus, but I think it's a cool little thing in there anyway. First mention of Messiah in the Old Testament. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. Just a side note. I don't know. Anyway, either way, it's an amazing display of trust in the Lord. We'll continue reading in verse 19 of chapter 1. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. That's amazing. What a miracle. (laughs) Praying for a son, being barren, and getting this beautiful, beautiful baby boy. So Hannah, uh, if we read on, keeps this precious little baby until it's weaned, and at least a year or two, uh, for, for at least a year or two, And then the time comes to give this beautiful baby boy into the service of the Lord. I can't even, I'm not a parent yet, hopefully, so I can't even imagine what this would be like to have this little beautiful baby boy for for a year and a half, two years, something like that, until it's weaned. And remembering this vow that you said that you'd give this baby boy over to God. But true to her word and in an awesome display of reverence, and thankfulness and trust in God, she hands him over. And you've got to remember that this time in Israel was a lawless time. This is the end of, end of the judges. This tabernacle, this, this guy that she's handing this baby over to is letting his sons do all this weird, weird kind of stuff. This is an amazing, an amazing display of trust in the Lord to be able to hand this little baby boy over to, over to Eli to serve God. And his son Samuel, as we find out next week, grows up to be this amazing man of God. So we're all going to have problems. God is sovereign over all of them. We should always take these problems to God to pray for them, but more importantly, to pray that his will And purpose would be done to seek first his kingdom, to put him first. I always love going back to the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Then give me what I need. It's kind of what we see in Hannah. I really want this son. I'll give him back to you.
think we ultimately we need to put God first. And I think we find a really good example of that in Hannah. Hannah really desired a son, but she was willing to give him over to God, and the son would grow up to be an awesome man of God. And if Hannah was willing to give over her son, how much greater is it that our Heavenly Father so desired us, sinners, that he would give his one and only son for us? A perfect son. Our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That we would be able to spend eternity with him and not be cut off from him. And how is amazing is it that Jesus would be willing to take our place to pay for our sins and advocate on our behalf so that when we're called to give an account for our life and we're found lacking, he said, I've paid for it in full. I think this is what freely or frees us up to give generously to God all areas of our life. It's because he first gave us everything. And so when I initially read the story of Hannah wanting to give this precious little baby boy over. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's because of what God has done for us that we're able to freely give. So it's a short one today. <laughs> As we come to a time of communion, maybe you can reflect on what the deepest desires of your heart are in this time before we come up for communion. And if you need to pray for help, that you would put God at the centre of your life, you can do that remembering that this table means that there's grace for that if he's not there. That Jesus has paid for our sins. He's given us everything. And it's the greatest, greatest gift we're ever going to get. So, our Father, I thank you for this this amazing example of reverence and, and trust that we see in Hannah, I pray that it would be more like Hannah, Lord. I pray that you would be the center of our lives. I pray that you would be the center of our relationships, our work, our rest, our money, our time, our talents, our skills. We seek your purpose for them. And just like Hannah, when it comes time to give them over, I pray that we would do it. We wouldn't just say that we would do it. I thank you for the example that you set, that when it came time to die for the sins of the world, you took the nails for us. Make us more like you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done on the cross. So when you're ready, you can take the bread and we'll save the cup for the end.